A powerful message from survivors of Maryvale. We all must put down our ignorance and accidental racism of not addressing the truth. Hundreds more unmarked grave sites as Kawasa's First Nation and all of Canada faces the truth and the trauma. Countdown to step three. I don't think anybody's really wanting to walk into a great big huge room right now and go, hey, you know, nothing happened. Labor groups and businesses prepare for the next phase in the restart plan. And the heat dome effect. Personally, I don't think I'll be really going outside. How to plan for extreme temperatures that'll last until next week. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Shockwaves across the country once again tonight. Hundreds of unmarked graves located in Saskatchewan less than a month after a similar find in Kamloops. A Saskatchewan First Nation confirming stories passed down through generations of survivors of the former Maryvale Residential School. Paul Johnson has the latest. And a warning, some of the details in this story could be disturbing for some people. I was the third um one in my family that went to that school. 80-year-old Florence Sparveer, speaking at Thursday's riveting news conference, recounts her experience as a little girl at the Maryvale Residential School. They made us believe we, believe we didn't have souls. The school was on the Cowess's First Nations land in southeastern Saskatchewan. It ran for almost 100 years and closed in 1996. Indigenous children from Saskatchewan and Manitoba were sent there, often against their will, to be educated by a Roman Catholic order called the Missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate, the same group that ran the Kamloops Residential School. We started our radar penetrating research on June the 2nd of 2021. As of yesterday, we have hit... 751 unmarked graves. Cowess's chief, Cadmus Delorme, says they always knew there was an unmarked grave somewhere, but the news from Kamloops triggered a new search with the same technology used in B.C. With technical help from Saskatchewan Polytechnic, they searched 44,000 square meters and got 751 hits, each hit likely indicating an unmarked grave. DeLorme says with the equipment's known error rate, he expects no fewer than 600 bodies are buried there. We are not asking for pity, but we are asking for understanding. We need time to heal, and this country must stand by us. Their next steps will be to study the data more to verify the numbers, and in the long run, hope to identify the people buried there. For the Catholic Church, they have two requests. Release all records still in their custody, which Chief Delorme expects to happen, and another that he's less certain about. The Pope needs to apologize. A quick look at the news section on the website of the Oblates makes no reference to the events that apparently happened on their watch in Canada. Whatever form reconciliation takes, there's the sense now, though, that it's unstoppable. And a small First Nations voice said, they found us. They found us. Paul Johnson, Global News. 
Well, the Tecumlips Tshwetmak chief and council say they know well what the Cowessas First Nation is going through. They announced the discovery of up to 215 children in unmarked burial sites last month. The Tecumlips call it a heavy burden, but one they carry with love, honor and respect for the children. Indigenous leaders in this province say as painful as it is, it's important for this truth to come out. What I think remarkable about um, today in all of its horror and sadness is that Canadians are waking up and learning about the history of this country. And I don't think Canadians are going to back down from this. As sad as it may be, I think it's really important to acknowledge all of these uh, terrible places that we've been to in order to come out in the best way. And it, it's, it's as difficult as uh, this journey is. I think it's, um, it really speaks to um, a, a terrible past that, that we need to um, really find a plan to get out of in terms of uh, how reconciliation and the path to reconciliation can look like. Anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their residential school experience can access the National Indian Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. It's available 24 hours and is toll-free and confidential. A string of disturbing incidents of vandalism has triggered an RCMP investigation. Since early May, four elementary and high schools around the Cowichan Valley have been defaced with hateful racist graffiti. Catherine Urquhart reports. In the Cowichan Valley School District, hate-filled words have been painted on four schools in the past six weeks. It's a disappointment that the graffiti is appearing at all. The solution is in educating people, and that's where I think we're falling behind. A Cole Mount Prevo and Cowichan Secondary were vandalized, along with Discovery Elementary School and Francis Kelsey Secondary, which was hit twice. The school board says the hate was directed at a few different groups. Indigenous, Black, um, Asian, all of those uh, communities that um, are against what these people see as white supremacy. In January, First Nations in the region faced an increase in racism following a COVID cluster, prompting Premier John Horgan to speak out. The Cowichan tribes who are being treated absolutely appallingly by uh, community members because they have been identified as potential uh, COVID patients. The chair of the school board says the incidents are a reminder that racism exists in the community and it's something that needs to be worked on. She also had a message for whomever scrawled the racist words on the schools. We're asking the people who are responsible to look into their hearts and see what they're doing to others and to stand up and be responsible for their actions. The RCMP say they're actively investigating the racist graffiti. They're calling on tipsters to contact local detachments or Crime Stoppers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The Vancouver Police Board today met for the first time since Mayor Kennedy Stewart publicly called out the force for what he calls an indefensible lack of action on systemic racism. That after Chief Adam Palmer once again denied that systemic racism exists in the department in the wake of several high-profile and racially charged incidents. Nitu Karcha has the latest.
relieve Chief Adam Palmer of his duties as his leadership has caused great trouble to our public institutions and the relationship between racialized people and the Vancouver Police Department. The chief of the Vancouver Police Department listening to calls for his own termination. The burden shouldn't lie on the shoulders of black and indigenous people to face this trauma from an institution. And um, if you're refusing to admit the problem, then we're not going to have a solution either. At Thursday's meeting of the police board, otherwise known as the VPD's employer, anti-racism advocate Markeel Simpson was clear the chief should be ousted. Hopefully we can get a turnaround on the position in both the Vancouver Police Board and the police department to recognize systemic racism as a fact. We did have a recent uh, swearing in of recruits. In that class, I believe it was 21 officers, and they speak 11 different languages, a very diverse group of people. Chief Palmer's update focused on hiring demographics as the board reviews diversity and inclusion in all VPD policies and procedures. This comes after Mayor Kennedy Stewart stepped down from his role as spokesperson, saying he's fed up with a lack of action on the file. I tried to do everything I could internally, uh, and I just couldn't stand in front of a microphone anymore and say, this is okay because it's not. Stewart says the board, the department, and the city mishandled cases, including the wrongful arrest of former Judge Selwyn Romilly and Maxwell Johnson, an Indigenous grandfather, handcuffed along with his 12-year-old granddaughter while trying to open her a bank account. I do think there's a structural problem here. I don't necessarily think it's the people that are on the board. It's a structural problem. He wants to see the VPD governed by the city, similar to the fire department, rather than a volunteer civilian-led board as the province works to modernize the police act public pressure is mounting i think it's important for the safety of racialized people in vancouver that we have a chief of police who recognizes these facts nitu garcha global news vancouver bc businesses are preparing for some big changes when the province loosens covid 19 restrictions july 1st richard zussman joins us now live with the details richard moving to step three of the reopening does involve bc hitting certain criteria but so far, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, it's looking really good, Chris. Cases continue to go down. Those intensive care go down as well, while vaccinations continue to go up, especially second doses. So all of that means for those who work and go to restaurants like this one, they're getting used to patios and distancing and masks. All of that is expected to change. Masks have been a central part of our lives, but on July 1st, the province is expected to stop making them required in many places and making them recommended. There will be a lot of requests, at least in the short term, to um, wear a mask um, to protect others, to protect employees. Retailers across the province still haven't been told specifically what a move to step three means. They are expecting capacity limits to be dropped and for some people to not wear a mask even when they're asked. I think as members of this society, we're just going to have to learn how to live with those people as well. The restaurant and bar sector will also experience some major changes. Restaurants right now at 50% capacity. The industry is planning to return to 100% next week. Only six people are allowed at a table right now. July 1st, table limits expected to disappear. Event limits, now 50 indoors, expected by industry to stay that way. While masks are expected to go from acquired away from the table to recommended. A lot of first-time employees in the industry they don't need to be harassed because you don't want to wear a mask or you think you should have 300 people at your table. Is that 
We've got to use common sense. In Alberta, as of next week, the only places the province will be requiring masks are on public transit and in taxis and rideshare vehicles. But the union representing transit drivers here expects BC to drop the requirement July 1st. And we don't want uh, them being confronted or any kind of scenes at the depots uh, or, or when the, the drivers are driving down the road uh, because some people choose to wear masks and others don't. So we actually expect uh, that you will see a market decrease very quickly in the amount of people wearing masks on buses. The province's largest public sector union, the BCGU, says workers working remotely can continue doing that until the fall, but are looking for specifics around what a gradual return to the workplace will look like. What is required to keep people safe? Are we going back to, you know, shared coffee pots? Is there still going to be social distancing, looking at room limits? All right, Richard, uh, mandatory masks, moving from that to masks recommended is a big change compared to what we've become used to. So what happens if a business wants to continue with its mask policy for now, but someone refuses to wear a mask? What happens? This is... Yeah, this is the number one issue, Chris, I heard all day today, speaking to everyone you saw in the story there. And what's happening for now is understanding, hoping that when people walk into the stores, they understand the rules, but also understand that there are some people that can't be vaccinated and there's a comfort level here. It's going to take time to get back to normal. And the sense is that there are a lot of people that still want to wear their masks while others do not, and they're hoping for respect. We are likely going to hit here a lot more on that issue, Chris, next week. As we hear the announcement moving to July 1st, we're expecting that announcement to take place on Tuesday. And the message to be kind and be calm from Dr. Henry for sure. All right. Thanks very much, Richard. And the numbers are looking good for a potential July 1st move to step three. We have 75 new cases. That brings BC's total to 147,346, with 1,111 of those cases currently active. 113 people are in hospital, 34 are in ICU. Sadly, we've had three more deaths, including a person in their 40s. Keith Baldry joins us with more on COVID and some good news on the vaccine supply front. Keith, we're in for a big boost. It's such a roller coaster, this vaccine supply. Yeah, at least this is great news, actually, Sophie. Last night we talked about uh, our, the concern we were almost out of Pfizer, which has been our workhorse vaccine. Uh, but literally overnight, the numbers have changed. Take a look at what uh, has come in the last 24 hours. Again, uh, big numbers we're talking about here in terms of Pfizer. We've got uh, two, more than 243,000 doses in the last 24 hours, more than 226 doses of Moderna, even 10,000 more doses of AstraZeneca, so more than 480,000 doses literally in 24 hours. But it doesn't stop there. Take a look at next week. What the expectation there is. Moderna now is going to become our dominant uh, vaccine with 370,000 plus doses next week, likely at the end of next week. A big batch of Pfizer's coming in as well, more than 328,000, all told almost 700,000 doses next week. So we are literally awash in vaccines. Interestingly, uh, yesterday we had a record 81,000 plus uh, vaccinations administered. That's by far a record. And 60 thousand of those were Moderna, so, which means a lot of people got Pfizer the first time around, as we talked about last night, are getting Moderna the set for the second dose. And they don't seem to have a problem with that. And that's very encouraging. Got my second shot yesterday. Team <laughs> AZ once again. All right. You have an Been interesting here. stat about people in their 20s getting vaccinated. 
Yes, for the first time, we're seeing a younger age cohort uh, vaccinated at a slightly higher rate than the, immediate, the age cohort immediately uh, ahead of them. So the 20-year-olds right now, 20 to 29, are vaccinating at a higher rate than the 30 to 39. That's where the slowdown is, people age 30. So if you're 30 years old out there, uh, step up and get vaccinated. All right, thanks for that, Keith. New developments in a disturbing attack on a vulnerable young victim. A boy with autism attacked at an outdoor basketball court. What RCMP say about the crime and where they track down the suspect. Next. For a lot of us, the spark is in the park. is like a home. The young rapper spitting rhymes, hoping he can save Bear Creek Park in the nick of time. That's coming up on the News Hour. Also tonight, a young hockey player finds out he has a passion for a different kind of blades. The inspiration behind his own knife brand later. Right now, though, nearly a year after a brutal, unprovoked attack on a teen with autism, Richmond RCMP have now identified a suspect. The boy suffered physical and emotional trauma, and Romina Dea has more on the Ontario man who is now facing serious charges. A suspect was arrested four provinces away in Ontario. 21-year-old Dominic Relan Zhao has now been charged with assault causing bodily harm. A Canada-wide warrant was issued uh, and the male turned himself in and appeared uh, in court remote, in BC court remotely. Andre, an autistic teen, was playing basketball when he was attacked last August, said Richmond RCMP. Andre, 18 at the time, suffered a vicious cut to the lip, bruises and a concussion from hitting his head on a tree, according to his heartbroken father. He said, well, my biggest concern was that I'm going to disappoint you, meaning me, my, the father, saying because I wasn't able to defend myself and then saying, you know, I did what you wanted me to do because to, I always encouraged him to go out to meet people and I said the only way you can get ahead in life is to meet people through people, people who will know you, people who will embrace you. After the Mounties released surveillance pictures last summer, they say many witnesses stepped up with crucial information. This was an excellent example of how the public and witnesses play a key role in our investigations. If these witnesses hadn't have called, this investigation may never have been launched. Andre's father told me he's so relieved charges have been laid. He thought this was going to be a cold case. He's grateful to the RCMP and to everyone who stepped forward to do the right thing. The accused is out on bail. His next court appearance is August 4th. Romina Dea, Global News. Up next, the business tax blues. It's like we're being forced out of business by the government. An artist blindsided by his new property tax bill. And extreme heat that could become unbearable. Why experts are warning there is a real danger to people across southern BC. Highway 1 through Burnaby is very busy right at the moment. We have a five-car pileup westbound Highway 1 just west of Gillardy. That has you down to just two lanes. Eastbound, not affected with any lane closures, but busy westbound from Burnett to just west of Gillardy. And eastbound, busy from Kensington to Gillardy. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One, above Highway 1 and Gillardy, I'm Amber Belzer. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant.
Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. Health officials are advising British Columbians to put safety first as we head into a period of potentially record-shattering temperatures. With forecasted highs into the 30s and even the 40s in some places, they're most concerned about people who are vulnerable to extreme heat. Kylie Stanton tells us what to look for. Umbrellas up and sunscreen on. Hey, you're covered, bud. Get ready for some extreme heat. Today's the day to come out to the beach for sure, you know, right right before it really it really heats up. Starting this weekend, the temperatures across British Columbia will start to rise and continue into early next week, thanks to a heat dome descending on the province. A big ridge is already starting to build now. It's going to get just get so strong. And this is a pattern that we only really see in July and early August, but we're seeing it in June. It's expected daily records will fall and more than likely all-time June highs will be broken. And we're even speaking of all-time temperatures, so July and August inclusive, uh, falling for some locations in BC as well. It's unprecedented. And it's also potentially dangerous. So everyone's susceptible to heat-related illness, and there's a range of severity. Signs to look out for include dizziness, fainting, nausea, vomiting, faster breathing, faster heart rate, confusion, and hot, dry skin. Seniors, young children, and those with chronic conditions or mental health issues are at especially high risk. Health officials are asking community members to look out for one another. Things you might ask is, are they drinking enough water? Are they showing any signs of heat stress? And do they know how to stay cool? But this rare event brings up another burning question. Is what's happening a sign of climate change? We know with, with great certainty that, that warmer temperatures come with, with climate change. So as the climate continues to warm, which we have plenty of evidence that that's going to be the case, we're going to see more events like this. The temperatures are expected to dip late next week, but will remain warmer than the seasonal average for the rest of the month and into early July, which could jumpstart a dangerously dry summer. We're definitely ahead of the game. It's kind of a precocious event when it comes to the potential risk of both drought and wildfires. Kylie Stanton, Global News. So you are not wrong if you feel like this is happening with greater frequency. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on these heat waves and the link to climate change. So Chris, event attribution is when climatologists try to link a certain weather event to climate change. Uh, it's a new study and it's very difficult to do for a current weather event. But there are plenty of studies done all around the world that have linked past uh, extreme weather events to climate change. For example, one study was able to link heat waves we experienced here in northern northern hemisphere in 2018, which we also experienced in BC, to human-induced climate change. This led to record-breaking heat and wildfire fires across BC. Another study out of Germany reported half of all record-breaking heat waves in the western U.S. would not have been record-breaking without climate change. Now, projections produced by the Climate Atlas of Canada shows that this trend is expected to continue. Now, let's use Kamloops as an example. The number of heat waves reported from 1976 to 2005 was 3.6, but the climate models are projecting that from 2021 to 2050, it will be up to 5.3 and beyond that, 6.2. And when we look at the longest spell of 30 plus degree days, 
uh, it has been 8.9, but it could jump to 14.3 and in, in the next 30 years and beyond that, 23.4. So these are big changes, that's for sure, and certainly concerning. If you want those projections for your specific area, you can actually go to climateatlas.ca, a great resource for all of us here across BC. Chris. Good information and good motivation, too. Thanks, Christy. Some new numbers are reinforcing the risk to small children when the weather gets hot and windows are left open. So far this year, eight children have been treated at BC Children's Hospital after falling from a window or balcony, and two of those children have died. The reminder to parents is keep your windows locked and closed when young children are around. If a window is open for ventilation, make sure it's one out of a child's reach and away from furniture that they could climb on as well. Keep in mind, window screens are not enough to protect children from falling. Meeting with these families is as wrenching and as emotional as you would imagine. Uh, I've heard many times from these parents and caregivers, uh, and it's natural to think of these things afterwards. Uh, I wish I had known. Uh, I, I wish I had thought of this and just taken a few precautions to try to um, avoid this happening. A popular White Rock music venue is reeling, blindsided by its recent commercial tax bill. As Ted Chernecki reports, the owners of Blue Frog Studios say they're essentially being forced out of business by the government. These days, he's a one-man band, but one that was getting excited to finally be able to reopen his White Rock studio to half capacity next week. Then came the dreaded property tax bill. We've been shut down for so many months, and this came as a perfect storm to us that we got hit with this huge increase at the time that we could least afford this. Here's the 2021 property tax notice. Last year, this business paid roughly $2,700 in school taxes despite the reprieve. This year, almost $9,600, an increase of 357%. Then there's Metro tax, up from $2,700 to $3,200, 18%. This is for things like TransLink and regional libraries and the like. Then there's the White Rock Municipal Tax, 95.74 last year, 10,647 this year, $1,000 more or 12%. Add miscellaneous taxes for sewer and water, also up 12%, and you get a total tax bill that's up 49% from 18,000 last year to 27,000 this year. And oh, it's all due next week. Why, he asks, is his tax bill up 49% when his assessed property value is up only 4%? Scale the tax increases to something more in line with assessed value. This is a recording studio which occasionally has concerts in it. and This is certainly not one of those businesses you simply turn on the lights to get things going again. Musicians and small concerts take weeks, if not months, to organize. We've got the additional school tax, we have the speculation tax, we've got regular property tax, we tax air. They're going to have to go about funding their programs through a different vehicle than property taxation. Ryan.com describes itself as the largest firm in the world dedicated exclusively to business taxes, and it is predicting the start of a tax revolt in BC. I think that the whole tax um, system needs to be reviewed, reorganized. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Up ahead, editing memories. That can actually reduce the emotions that people feel. 
New research that could be transformative for those who've experienced trauma. And coming up later in sports, building on the magic of this moment, Canada's field hockey team hoping for Olympic glory in Tokyo. If you're commuting through North Vancouver this evening, there is a minor delay for eastbound traffic just east of Capilano Road because of a few cars over to the right shoulder, part of a collision. And as you can see, there is a bit of a slowdown, but nothing too bad to worry about. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. Above Highway 1 and Capilano Road, I'm Amber Belzer. A security camera captures the shocking collapse of an entire wing of a 12-story condo building in Florida early this morning. Rescuers are still racing against time using dogs, drones and listening devices, hoping that some of the missing are still alive. Police say at least one person is dead and 99 are unaccounted for, but they can't confirm those people were inside the building at the time. The tower is 40 years old, and while the cause of the collapse isn't yet known, officials say it had been undergoing a safety inspection in recent days. A close call in New Westminster at the cleanup site of a major fire one month ago. An excavator clearing rubble from the May 24th fire that destroyed a heritage building on Columbia Street fell through the floor and into the basement. There are indications the crews didn't know the building had a basement. Luckily, it appears no one was seriously injured. Another heavy machine is now being brought in to dig out the excavator. Investigators are still looking into the fire that destroyed four businesses. It is considered to be suspicious. In Health Matters tonight, University of Alberta researchers are exploring how we form and recall memories and whether altering them can help our mental health. It could be especially helpful in cases of post-traumatic stress disorder, which statistics show has increased during the pandemic. When you think about your childhood, do you see those memories through your own eyes or someone else's? We know that when we remember our events, we can actually shift and change our perspective. We can sometimes see ourselves in our memory. Dr. Peggy St. Jacques is studying our ability to edit our memories, switching perspective from first person to an observer. And what we've found is that that can actually reduce the emotions that people feel. Dr. St. Jacques says that could be useful for coping with trauma. Her University of Alberta team has been using a 3D camera to make lifelike videos of various environments and events, incorporating them into virtual reality, where a participant's viewpoint can be manipulated. And we've created avatars that look like uh, the participants in the study, so you have this strong sense of identity and you feel like you're seeing yourselves in those virtual experiences. MRIs showed participants' brains lit up differently. The out-of-body view made an experience feel less intense, sometimes less scary. It's almost like you're kind of stepping back, you know, from that event and, and having some distance. She says it could be a treatment for PTSD or other anxiety disorders in the future. Dr. St. Jacques was recently awarded a Canada Research Chair, one of the first Indigenous women in science to have the prestigious title. Growing up myself, I didn't have, um, there weren't a lot of people that I could look to as role models that looked like myself. You know, one thing that's really important to me in this role is being a leader. 
Still to come, a hockey player with a backup plan. If I uh, keep putting as much effort as I have been, um, the sky's the limit. How he turned the season's pandemic pause into a thriving knife business. Also tonight, something's afoot on BC Ferries. Summer changes you need to know about. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. BC Ferries is gearing up for the return of a more normal, busy summer travel season, while they also offer up an option for some foot passengers. Starting Friday, there will be additional sailings on the most popular routes. The busiest times for BC Ferries in the summer are usually Thursday and Friday afternoons, as well as Saturday mornings and Sunday afternoons. BC Ferries recommends booking trips in advance or traveling outside of those peak times. To that end, they're also now offering free online advance bookings for foot passengers for sailings between the Lower Mainland and Vancouver Island. It's something that has been in the works for a while. And, uh, you know, now that the travel restrictions have been lifted, we wanted to offer this service to our customers as we go into the busy summer season. This new service is available, but if you're traveling as a foot passenger, you certainly don't have to book a reservation. Uh, also, when customers are looking online, if it appears that the foot passenger reservations are full, that's because we're currently limiting the number of reservations we will take. It certainly doesn't mean that uh, we're full for foot passengers. All right. Christy Gordon is back with us with a look at that potentially record-breaking forecast. Uh, potentially, but likely too, Christy. Yeah, very likely it looks like, uh, Sophie, and uh, not only for uh, BC, but it looks like we'll see that right across sort of um, uh, northwestern U.S. as well. Now, uh, I want to quickly mention we've had 11 new forest fires in the last two days, and we've had no lightning, which means that it's likely that those are person-caused. And we're really concerned about that in the coming days because it is so dry, and with this heat, it will get even drier. And we have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see. We were in Anticipating a little bit on Wednesday, but that's not going to happen now. Here's a look at the projection for temperature, though, for coastal regions. So for our region, the temperatures will begin to surge tomorrow, the hottest days, Sunday, Monday, and you will finally feel a bit of relief on Tuesday. That will be the case in the interior regions, or sorry, the Fraser Valley regions. Now, this model is projecting that the Fraser Valley could reach into the 40s. That may be the upper end of it. Not all models are showing that. For Kelowna in the interior regions, you're expecting final some relief Thursday, maybe not even until Friday. So tomorrow is our transition day. Straight sunshine expected, not only tomorrow, but right through the early part of next week. Again, no rain in the forecast, and we are expecting heat. Be careful with kids. Be careful with pets. Never leave them inside of a car. And don't forget, UV index will be very high. And there's a bit of humidity for coastal regions as well that will make those numbers feel even hotter. Here's tonight's central windows, weather window from Oliver. Thank you to Dan for that one, showing off the area there mm. Mm. beautiful and green now thank you christy a surrey student is urging city hall to save bear creek park and he's using his musical talent to get the mayor's attention dear doug i heard they're gonna combine this road make it go through the park and you were the deciding vote i can't do much so i thought i'd grab this microphone hoping that maybe through a song i can change your mind you know 
16-year-old Vanch Sidhu, who also got, goes by the name Vanchu, performing Save Bear Creek Park, a song he wrote and produced himself. The grade 11 Enver Creek secondary student is calling on Mayor Doug McCallum to reconsider plans that would see 84th Avenue extend through the popular green space. The young artist posting this video on YouTube along with a link to the community campaign seeking to stop the road from being built. Pretty catchy tune, Van Shu. Mm -hmm. Well done. Let's see if the mayor is paying attention. All right, there's Squire with a look ahead to what's coming up on sports, Squire. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Mark DeSantos, who, of course, is uh, in a little bit of job trouble right now. We'll also update you on what's happening with the Canadians. Also, they are big underdogs, but Canada's men's field hockey team looks to pull an upset or two in Tokyo. We know we got to punch above our weight and get some results against teams that were you know, potentially not used to getting results again. All right, we will take a look at our field hockey team, which has never medaled in the Olympics. Wouldn't that be something? All right, thanks, Squire. And an entrepreneur power play. The hockey player cutting through pandemic boredom by launching his own knife business. The dreaded coaching questions are coming up. I know. It's not fun. But, you know, this is what happens in sports. The Whitecaps have lost five in a row. Not many expect them to win this Saturday against Seattle. The Vancouver Whitecaps haven't had strong starts, haven't scored a first-half goal. So how safe is head coach Mark DeSantos? He's in his final year of his contract. Will he keep his job if things don't turn around soon? DeSantos says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it because this kind of pressure is nothing on him. Pressure for me is at a level if I had a brain tumor or cancer. That for me is, is real pressure. Pressure of getting fired, it's part of every coach's pathway, you know. It's, it's even important for a coach and his pathway to get fired. I, I never got fired in my life. So I think it's even an important step in your pathway as a coach to grow. So I don't see, I don't feel pressure. I feel frustration. Is this 2021? Yes, it is. Outside of the Bell Centre. And the Snowbirds are going over. And if Montreal wins this game, they're going to the Stanley Cup final. And Shea Weber from Sycamore scoring a goal. But he's not the only Shea defenseman from BC in this game. Touche from the other Shea. It's Shea Weber. And his shot is tipped in by Riley Smith. Now, it says 1-1, but we have a goal to add to this, I do believe. Yes, we do. So it's actually 2-1 now for Montreal because Cole Caulfield, the kid, scores again. And outside, they go nuts. 2-1 for Montreal late in the second period. The uh, Seattle Kraken have hired former Philadelphia Flyers head coach Dave Haxtall to be their first ever head coach. Recently, he worked for the Maple Leafs. Before he was in the NHL, he was a longtime coach at the University of North Dakota. Now, when it comes to Olympic men's hockey, 
We have a lot of medals from the Winter Games. But at the Summer Games, of course, it's field hockey. And Canada has yet to win a medal. Our best finish ever is 10th. But our program has improved and we have qualified for Tokyo next month. Canada for the victory. Still, he's done it! Canada are going to Tokyo! This magical moment back in 2019 when Canada beat Ireland to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics is one of the most dramatic and exciting moments in Canadian field hockey history. And the fact it happened in Vancouver, the home base of the men's national team and many of its players, made it that more special. You had these massive, tense moments in an Olympic qualifier and three metres away is your wife or your buddy or something like that. So it was, it was a really special time, a special weekend for us. And they've got it! Oh, how they needed it! And now Canada's looking to experience that kind of joy at the Olympics. It won't be easy. Canada's in the group of death with Belgium, the Netherlands, Great Britain and Germany, four of the top six ranked countries in the world. Canada needs to beat at least one of them to advance to the playoffs. But this Canadian team feels it does have the firepower to pull an upset, something that was never really possible in the past. We've got some guys who are extremely skillful in attack and we have the confidence now that the other team may, may score some goals, but we can also score as well. And, and we're not afraid to let the play open up a little bit and, and kind of take our chance in that regard. There's also a little more swagger. New head coach Pasha Gaidman from the Netherlands feels this group is ready to take the next step in the biggest arena in sports. There is a sense of confidence, I think a very realistic confidence that we are, um, that we have the possibility. So the element that I spoke about before, the attractiveness, the exciting hockey, the daring to play, to present yourself as a real threat towards big and small teams, that's something that I really want to achieve with this team, yeah. This is a veteran Canada team. For many of them, this will be their last Olympics, but they are feeling this is an opportunity to pass the torch and leave the program in good shape. We've been together now for eight or ten years, and we really want to live that, uh, leave that legacy to the, the group that comes beyond, uh, behind us and to try and you know, achieve a result that the Canadian men have never achieved before at the Olympics, and that's you know, making a quarterfinal and finishing top eight. The Euro Tournament, of course, isn't the only big soccer event going on right now. Down in South America, they have Copa America, which is a 10-team tournament featuring Lionel Messi, who's playing for Argentina, and Neymar, who plays for Brazil. Now, last night, Brazil played Colombia, and they beat Colombia 2-1. But the Colombian goal, Luis Diaz, his goal was one of the best of the year. And this is what it looked like, and this is what it sounded like. No, no se nos puede ir este en blanco, eh? lo firmo. Venga, este servicio y punto. Golazo. Golazo. Gol. I love that. Uh, Victoria-born pitcher Nick Pavetta had a big game tonight for Boston. Didn't allow any hits through six and two-third innings against Tampa, but despite that no-hitter, he was pulled for a reliever. Sometimes these managers are way too stuck on pitch counts. He had thrown 100 balls, so they got him out. Leave him in. No one's hitting him. Leave him in. See if he can go all the way. Anyway. All right. Thanks. We, we love science and data when it comes to COVID, but not when it comes to baseball. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. Up next, a hockey player hoping to score with a cutting-edge business idea. Stay with us.
He may only be 18 years old, but local hockey player Mason Smith is showing a keen entrepreneurial streak. When the pandemic benched the hockey prospect, he launched a new business, hoping to carve out a niche in kitchen knives. As Jay Durant tells us on tonight's This is BC, Dane Cutlery has been a sharp success. It seems like a natural fit for a guy who's pretty good on blades. Mason Smith has done a great job selling them. I usually have around five to ten. It's an idea that came to him at the start of the pandemic when his hockey season was shut down. After finding a manufacturer in Denmark and pitching them some design ideas of his own, the 18-year-old was all of a sudden an online business owner. It's just kind of off for a kid my age to have kitchen cutlery. Which is why he kept it quiet, not knowing how people would react. He was a little concerned about showing up in Saskatchewan at his billet's house for junior hockey this year with a truck full of knives. When I drove out there, it was a 22-hour drive, I had a bin of knives and uh, the strange, uh, strange topic for the billet parents, but I mean, they got to know pretty quick. And it took him a while to tell his teammates. First I was skeptical because I didn't know, like, you know, how was it going to go and stuff like that, but... He showed me some of the numbers and I was like, man, this guy's making some great progress. I don't know if there's much to chirp him about. He's having his own business and making money. This is kind of a versatile knife used for uh, pretty much everything in your kitchen. Dane Cutlery just had its best month, 10 grand in total sales. Mason's grandmother would be proud. It was her cutlery set that she owned for decades that gave him the idea. I never thought it would be what it is today, a year ago, and it's crazy I've been doing it a year, but... Um, yeah, no, I think uh, it could turn into full-time if I pursue it. A successful blade business to fall back on when it's eventually time to hang up this pair. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. You better load up the old pickup truck with some more knives. He might get, <laughs> after that, you got some good exposure there. Uh, okay, heat's on for the next few days here, Christy. Yeah, so starting tomorrow right through Tuesday for our region, we'll finally see some relief on Tuesday, but it'll still be hot. In the interior regions, though, it looks like it'll continue Wednesday, potentially into Thursday also. All right, I'm off tomorrow for the I'm a Hippie Golf Tournament, raising funds for hip dysplasia treatment at BC Children's Hospital. Have a great weekend. You going with long hair, hippie style? <laughs> exactly, I'm a hippie.